Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. And I'm really excited, not just about the building, but the fact that we get uh, to have not just a guest speaker in the house today, but also somebody who is a dear friend, who is a mentor. I call him a friend tour uh, to me. And he's not just a friend tour, uh, he's also of the house. And so if you're not familiar, if you've never been through Next Steps, which I'd encourage you to go through today, uh, we have a, a government leadership structure at our church, and it doesn't end with me. Even I come under leadership, and we have three overseers is what we call them. That was four. We have three overseers. And uh, one of them is Pastor Andrew Gard from an amazing church. And you guys know, I don't say amazing. We've got other guest speakers here, and I don't always say amazing church. But this is a legit, amazing church called Grace City. So much of what they do, we've implemented here at Journey. If you were ever to visit their church, you'd be like, oh, I think Journey came up with that. No, we didn't. We stole it. Hardcore stole it. And he's been with us since the beginning of, of launch. Um, I, I always share stories, different stories about him. And I'll never forget this story. Uh, I met with him in his office and just casting the vision of the church and and, uh, and sharing with him that, you know, money was a need. And, uh, but I didn't ask because I wasn't that kind of guy. So I was just like, you know, money's, I'll leave that there and I'll go. And, and uh, a couple of weeks later, um, my wife and I, while we were planting, in the process of planting, found out that we had suffered our third miscarriage. That was after journey. It was our third miscarriage, trying to get pregnant after we lost our baby. And the day we got the miscarriage, I went to the mailbox and there was a check from Grace City, Florida for $3,000 towards the plant of the church. And I called Andrew up, Pastor Andrew up right away and I said, this is more than a gift. This is confirmation that God is on our side and we're going to continue to press through. And so we have a culture of honor here at Journey. So would you do me a favor and stand to your feet and put your hands together to honor the man of God bringing the word today, Pastor Andrew Gard. Right on. Well, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing if you would, uh, because I, I really believe this. I believe Journey Church is special. Let me hear you make some noise if you think Journey Church is a special church. Um, I, I, I think, um, you know, in our church, uh, we try to have the culture. I, I think it's a good culture to have um, to honor the body of Christ, right? It's, it's all the body of Christ and to honor churches everywhere. Uh, but I'll say this along with that. If you come to Gray City, we have this insatiable internal thing that it says all the churches are great, but there ain't nobody like Gray City. <laughs> And can I tell you, the moves of God, the, the, I think the special churches, I call them the generational churches, have that on them. And I think you have one of those churches here in Journey Church. I believe that with my whole heart. That's not rhetoric. I believe that. But you got to believe it. JJ can believe it. Liz can believe it. The staff can believe it. The JLA students can believe it. But from the front of the room to the back of the room, whether this is your first week here or you've been here for a minute, uh, you got to believe that what's happening right here is special, that it's unique, that God is using Journey Church in a unique way to reach people. And that's special. If this is your first time here, I agree with JJ. Look no further. You're here. You're in a good spot because you have trustworthy, God-honoring leaders people with integrity and character. Isn't it great? Uh, like I love talent. I think talent's awesome, right? I, I think it's great. I'm grateful that you have, I, I believe, one of the best communicators in the United States of America, and Pastor JJ. I think he's an amazing preacher. Um, 
And just the, the grace that Liz carries and the way they carry it together is just so unique and so special to me. And I'm grateful for talent. Come on, I, I wanna be at a church where there's lots of talent. In addition to that, I wanna be at a church led by pastors that genuinely love God, that genuinely pray, that genuinely love people, that genuinely wanna, wanna grow and pursue God's best. That's the thing I always admired about JJ and Liz is that they're always in our space. They're always with Christina and I just, and, and they just wanna grow. They're humble and they wanna grow. And so one more time, come on, can we honor our pastors? Can we thank them? Can we thank them? Ronald, you, you could be seated, Journey Church, and I, 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 I really feed off, off crowd interaction. I hated when we were like preaching to the video. I was telling JJ, uh, I, I didn't like preaching to a video. Uh, we would show up and we'd record on Fridays, and like, and, and I'd be preaching my guts out, and I'd be, you know, and spits flying, and and I'd be and I'd be telling a joke and laughing at my own jokes, and uh, I just so so. Um, uh, can, can we go there together today? Can we have a good time today? It's just more enjoyable when we go there we have a good time and um, uh, before I get into the message I do want to introduce you uh, uh, to my family uh, uh, they're, they're gonna we're gonna throw them up on this screen uh, and uh, uh, this is my crew right here this is my wife Christina uh, uh, Christina Marie Gard currently just started her process of getting her PhD uh, she has two master's degrees starting her PhD went to Oxford and I'm like a solid 2.8 GPA from middle school all the way through was consistent. Two, come on, come on, where my magna cum nothings out there? Come on, where you at? Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. I graduated, I get no cords, man. I put a basketball net around my neck. That's what I did. And then these are our twins, Justice. Come on, if you're a pastor, you got to have a son named Justice, right? Um, uh, is our, our, this is Justice Andrew Gard, uh, uh, my little guy. And, uh, and this is Adriana Grace. Addie Grace is what we call her. Uh, Two-year-old twins. Uh, they are awesome. They're keeping us busy. And, uh, and my wife loves uh, uh, Pastors JJ and Liz. And uh, again, this is home. So I'm going to preach like I would at Grace City. Is that okay? I'm going to preach uh, like I would at Grace City Church. And um, I, I want to preach a message today called, This is Getting Heavy. This is Getting Heavy. And I, I want to preach uh, today out, out of a situation in a story where Jesus has literally just got done um, telling the disciples how they are to conduct themselves when they feel wronged or when they feel sinned against. Um, and what he says, I know this is a novel thought in our culture today. He starts out with saying, hey, go talk to him. I know that's crazy. <laughs> but he says, hey, if you've been wronged or if you've been sinned against, you should go talk to them. And they're like, if that doesn't work, you should bring kind of a moderator. And if that doesn't work, you should bring them before the church. Now, what he doesn't mean is like bring them up on the platform and go unclean, unclean. Uh, what he's really saying is bring pastoral covering into the conversation to help you, help you navigate. So Jesus just gets done explaining this. And then Peter speaks up. Come on, how many of you are grateful for Peter? You're like, if God could use Peter, God could use me. Amen. So this, so, so this is what Peter said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, Okay, you've given me the tool and the strategy for how to do it. Now I need to know how much should I do it? So it says, then Peter came to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and he forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is getting heavy. Come on, let's pray together today over the preaching of God's word. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us, that you would instruct us in the way of forgiveness today. God, that you would give us a greater capacity than we could possibly fathom to walk with a joy-filled spirit and a light shoulder that you have called us to walk with. Let us experience true forgiveness that we may give it. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. Um, yeah. Anybody else gain the COVID-15? No, just me? Okay, cool. Uh, I feel good. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else jump on a scale after about two months of being quarantined in your home and uh, um, were a little maybe discouraged um, I, I jumped on the scales about two months into COVID after eating Reese's peanut butter cups and, and, and not working out at all. And, uh, and I jumped on the scale and I was incredibly discouraged. I was a little distraught. I saw some numbers I'd never seen before in my life on that scale. I saw there and there was still a one there, but there was a one and then a nine. I'd never seen a nine before as the second number in my entire life, and, and I saw it, and it, 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 it kind of startled me. And, and there's a couple of reasons why it startled me. One of the main reasons why it startled me is because I have a goal, right? I have a goal for my children. And really my goal for my children is really a goal for myself, which is to say when my kids are 15 and 16 years old, I want them to think their dad is a beast. I want them thinking their dad is a monster. Like, man, I, I want to pick them up from school and get out of the car and I want them to be like, man, my dad is a beat, man, my, my dad is a stud. That's what I want them to think. And the reason why I want them to think that is because I remember when I was 15, 16, 17 years old that I thought that about my dad, right? Yeah, I, I remember thinking that about my dad. My dad was a great athlete and he played basketball with me and my friends and, and he was like one of the best guys on the court. And, and, and I remember when I was in college, uh, we played on the same softball team and my dad played shortstop and he was just, just a stud. I remember how awesome it was to go, man, my dad is a beast, right? And so I wanna be that for my kids. The problem is um, we had kids later in life. <laughs> see, see, my dad had an edge on me. In fact, the edge he had is, in fact, when I was 21, I was 21 years old, junior in college, my dad was the same age that I am right now. So when I was 21, my dad is the same age. that, I, And so I feel like if my kids were 21 right now, they'd be like, okay, he's, he's doing all right. The problem is my kids are two. 
So I got some time to keep it tight. I got some time that, 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 I, got, that I have to keep doing this. I'll never forget that day when I stepped on that scale. I was like, oh, okay, wow, I, I have a little more weight on me than I had on me two months ago. How many of you know this? In fact, you might not even know this. Is, is I think a lot of times we, we underestimate the weight that unforgiveness is adding to our lives. I think we underestimate it. I, I, think, we're, I think we think we're doing better than we are. I think there are times when we're like, come on, it's kind of like the old kind of adage where someone's like, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. They go up an octave, single tier. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I think a lot of us are living our lives with a, I'm fine type of attitude. And, and I don't think we're being really honest about, about what unforgiveness is doing to us, the weight that it is adding to us. You ever been frustrated because somebody didn't get what you thought they deserved? Nothing gets us quite like that. When somebody doesn't get something that we think they deserve. This plays out all the time with my wife and I whenever we're having a debate about who the better driver in our relationship is. Uh, come on, I don't know if, if, let me see if you're a married couple, you have this fight sometimes. Like who's the better driver? Like we have this debate about who the better driver is, but I have the ace up my sleeve. I have the ace up my sleeve. Anytime I just want to finish her, anytime I just, anytime I just want to end the conversation, all I get to say is, uh, who got the last ticket? I can end the conversation in one sentence, who got the last ticket? But that frustrates her to no end is because although she has the last ticket, I got pulled over the last and so, she'll, so she'll go, but that's not fair. Technically, if we're talking about who's a better driver, you actually have been caught speeding in a more recent time than I have. I'm like, but Geico don't know that. Geico doesn't, doesn't know. There's something inside of us, maybe not that we say at church or maybe not that we say at friends, but, but there's something inside of us that kind of wants people to get what we think they deserve. And we don't tell people that, right? Because we're supposed to love God. We don't, we don't tell, but come on. You ever seen somebody get blessed from afar that you didn't really like? Come on, we love phrases like this. Like Pastor Jay, you'll get up, here, get up here and he might say something like, God wants to use you despite your imperfections, despite what you've gone through. God can still use you. And we're like, yeah. And then what happens is God does that with somebody we don't like. And we're like, does God not know their character? Does God not know what they did on Friday night? Like, is God oblivious See, we love it for ourselves, but man, we despise it for other people. So, so I, I wrote down some symptoms. Here, here's some symptoms to know if you got some unforgiveness going on inside of you. Because sometimes what can happen is, I think we can be too dismissive. I think we can hear a message like this and go, ah, I don't know, I feel like I'm, I don't have like a lot of unforgiveness going on. I, I wrote down a few, so then you can do a little litmus check to, to see, okay, do I have some symptoms of unforgiveness? Here's the first one, debates in isolation. Debates in isolation, here's what I mean. You ever find yourself in a shower, having a conversation with yourself, but you're playing both parts? 
Come on, you ever find yourself in the shower and you're, and you're talking to that person that you work with? They're not there. But you're playing both parts. How witty are you in those moments, by the way? I'm the most brilliant debater when I'm debating myself. I always have the point, counterpoint. Like I always, it always ends with me owning them and being like, boom, mic drop, told you, you should see it my way. Come on, you know you got some unforgiveness going on. When you find yourself having like isolated debates, isolated conversation, what I have found in my own life, when I find myself having too many of those, like when I find myself going for a week or so, and I'm like, why do I keep having these conversations? I need to do one of two things. A, I either need to go talk to them, or B, I need to grow up and let it go. But one of the two things, because life is too short to be frustrated. And by the way, what happens too is it, it, we find ourselves hating people. And the reason why we find ourselves hating people or being overly frustrated with people is because we're confused as to why they haven't corrected uh, the thing that we thought that they should correct. After all, I've talked to them. I haven't really talked to them. I just have talked to them by myself in the shower and they should have gotten through osmosis, through the conversation that I was having by myself to them. They should have grown and they should have heard what I was saying when I was playing them and myself and they should have known better by now. Come on, you ever find yourself getting more mad than you were originally? Because you're like, why don't they just get it? Because you haven't talked to them. Come on, we have some, we have some unforgiveness when we're having those debates in isolation. A another symptom of unforgiveness is a pattern of broken relationships. A pattern of broken relationships. Can I just, if, if you have a pattern of broken relationships, at some point you gotta stop blaming other people. At some point you have to take inventory and go, I might be the common denominator. <laughs> I have a rule with one of my good friends. Um, I'll, I'll do the PG-13 version. Um, but it goes like this. If you meet four jerks in one day, you're the jerk. <laughs> Come on, have you ever found yourself going, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm interacting with all unreasonable people today. <laughs> I think it's you, bro. I think you're the one. Listen, you, you gotta be careful. Listen, and there's gonna be some relationships that you did everything you could. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is if you got like a pattern of destructive relationships behind you, you gotta pause for a second going, there's somewhere along the line where I'm getting caught up. It probably has to deal with unforgiveness. Another symptom of unforgiveness is fresh energy towards an old wound. Fresh energy towards an old wound. You ever have somebody bring up like the name of your enemy in your presence? They're like, hey, should we invite Sarah? She's, you know, she's pretty awesome. Oh, Sarah, four years ago, she forgot to invite me to. It's like, whoa, it's like four years ago. Like, whoa, come on, when you have fresh energy towards an old wound, you probably haven't dealt with that thing. And, and then the last one is this, is that we, we have an emotional interest in the lives of people we say we don't care about. We have an emotional interest with the people who we say we don't care about. Listen, you and I, man, we gotta deal with unforgiveness or unforgiveness will deal with us. We, we, we gotta navigate unforgiveness or unforgiveness will navigate and lead us. And here's my point, my only point today is this, is that unforgiveness is a weapon that causes as much harm to the person holding it as it does to the other party. See, un unforgiveness is a weapon that causes as much harm to the person holding it as it does to the other party. In Matthew chapter 18, 
Verse 21, again, Peter comes and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody after they wrong me? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Have you ever had someone ask you to do something that you thought there was no way you could do? Like they invite you to do something, and you're like, ah, I don't think I can really do that. Uh, a little while back, a couple years ago, um, I was invited to do this race called the Tough Mudder. It's like Spartan race. It kind of would be in the same family as that. And, uh, and, and I got asked by one of our staff. They came in, and they were like, hey, man, um, you know, this thing's in, in like a week and a half. We have X amount of tickets. We've already purchased, like, the tickets. Like, we have one with your name on it. We really want you to do this with us. Um, and uh, it's like in a week and a half. Um, you know, can you, uh, you know, do you want to do this? And uh, so now it, let me explain what this is. Um, uh, it's, it's, well, the, well, first of all, they told me it was like an 8 to 11-mile run. It ended up being like a 12-mile run, okay? And by the way, this is not like on flat terrain. This is like uphill, downhill, like, like please don't like tear my ACL, like, you know, pothole infested. In addition to that, it's 27 obstacles. So you run and then you do these obstacles and, and, and where you're crawling through and there's barbed wire fence just above your head and it's freezing cold water. And, and so they were like, hey, do you want to do this? This sounds like fun. It's like, no, this sounds terrible. This sounds awful. Um, uh, but for some reason, I was like, come on, it, it, who is doing it always matters, does it not? And so I go, well, who's doing it? Who's doing it, right? Because I'm like, I don't have any time to train for this thing, and I just got to make sure I'm not the worst athlete that's doing this. And so I go, okay, who's doing this? And they begin to like lift off names. And as they're listing off names, I'm instantly putting people in categories. I'm going, I'm more athletic than him, faster than him. Stronger than him? No, he could probably take me. He could probably take me. I start putting people in two categories. And what I quickly realize is there's definitely two categories. There's going to be two groups that run with our Gray City squad. There's going to be the group that's going to be, like, not competing and not crushing it. And they're just, the goal is to finish. And then there's going to be the other group that they're trying to go as fast as they can. And I'm not going to do this thing if I'm not in this group. If I can't be, if I can't hang with these guys, I'm gonna do it. So I decide to do it. We show up like this, this crazy early morning and it was, it was insane. I gotta be honest, it was pretty great. But at about mile eight, I'm running. And you ever, <laughs> you, you ever have like a muscle you, you can feel it's getting ready to go? You're just running and you're like, okay, there, my hamstring is getting ready to go. Like, this is not good. They're gonna have to like medevac me. We're in the middle of nowhere. They're gonna have to medevac me out of this place. This will be terrible. And, and, and so I was kind of, so I slowed down a little bit and the guys I was running with, which were the faster crew, they, they, they were like, hey, you good? And I'm like, yeah, I just feel like, no. <laughs> but you good? Yeah, no. And they're like, okay, okay. And, 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 we, and, and they slowed down their pace and they ran at a pace with me. And all I needed was about a quarter mile. And then once we ran about a quarter mile, I was like, okay, it's loosening up. It doesn't feel like it's going to go anymore. And we were actually able to take off. But I can tell you this, I would not have been able to finish that thing if it wasn't for my guys. There's, there's no way that I would have been able to finish if I wasn't with them. In fact, the way it finishes, I think we have a picture of it. The way it finishes, this is, this is how like, dumb of a thing this is to do, is you finish with running through this water with electrical things hanging down that shock you when they touch you. Yeah, this is a real thing, people. This is, a real, this is what we do in Polk County, recognize. 
It, it shocks you as you're running through water. I'm like, how are they insured for this? We can barely get insured for a second bounce house. <laughs> what? I would have not have been able to finish this if, if it wasn't for the guys that I had around me. What's interesting is, is that Peter thinks when he answers this question that he's going above and beyond. When Peter says seven, he actually thinks it's going to impress Jesus. In fact, we know this because the most uh, gracious rabbis, like different rabbis had different teachings on forgiveness and how much you should forgive. The most gracious rabbis, the amount you should forgive was three. The most gracious were like, listen, if somebody doesn't want to forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, and then cut them off, right? The, the most times that you're going to forgive somebody is three times. So when Peter comes to Jesus and says, hey, how many times should I forgive them? What the most generous rabbi says, times two plus one. Look how spiritual I am, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 77 times, which is really just his way of not putting a number on it at all. See, I, I think sometimes <laughs> we can live disillusioned lives thinking that we're more spiritual than we actually are. See, the goal is not to be better than most. The goal is not to go, am I more forgiving than my neighbor who's not following Jesus? The goal is, am I walking in a radical forgiveness that I would not be able to walk into if I was not walking with Jesus? That is the kind of life that Jesus is asking us to live. And here's why it's so important. You're gonna have so many opportunities to forgive people because you're doing life with other humans. So if you're not good at this, you're gonna be really frustrated in life because every day almost, you're gonna have an opportunity to either forgive or not. And sometimes it's gonna be silly stuff and sometimes it's gonna be really serious stuff. Sometimes it's gonna be silly stuff. Like uh, a while back, we got, we, get this, we got this anonymous letter in the mail uh, to our church and it was, um, it was directed towards my wife, right? It was directed towards my wife and it wasn't a very complimentary um, uh, letter, which I actually thought was awesome. Because usually that stuff always comes to me. Like I'm the one that gets the DMs from like random user 5946 account that calls me a false prophet. Like I just, usually I'm the one that gets the, 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 the mail with letters cut out. Like, like usually, usually I'm the one uh, that's getting that kind of mail. And my wife got one and I was like, this is awesome. Because Christina, if you, if you know my wife, she is like, she has zero enemies. Like everybody loves her. She's like the sweetest person ever. She's like marriage and family therapist. So she has the therapy thing going and like, she just, she's just so sweet and so encouraging and everything is the best and you are the best parent in the world. And like, she don't even know you. She's like, she just, you know, she's just so encouraging and so over the top. She makes you feel like a million bucks. And, and so she gets kind of this, what, what we deemed is kind of like funny mail. And, and, and this lady is kind of going off uh, kind of honor. And the main thing that she's talking about is, um, She's talking about how she couldn't believe that somebody of my wife's influence would post um, something, stuff on Instagram that could cause people to stumble, that could cause men to stumble. Can't believe you'd put. Now we read this and we're incredibly confused because my wife is like the most modest person ever. Like there are times where she's like, is this too short? I'm like, you're wearing a burqa. No, it's not too short. It's like at your ankles, you're good. Like my wife's the most modest person ever. And so, it was so, so, so we were like, what photo? We stopped reading, we're like what photo? What photo is this person talking about? And they tell us the photo at the end. And 
And they were photos uh, that my wife did when she was like eight months pregnant with our children where her belly, her pregnant eight month with twins belly is exposed. And she's like, I can't believe you'd post this immodest picture. And we were like, I know people struggle with stuff. But like, if you're just Googling like eight months pregnant women, I'm not saying it's not a thing for somebody. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying, like, please set up a meeting immediately to meet with Pastor JJ. He would love to have that conversation to help you. See, the reality is, and my, and my wife gets kind of frustrated because I'm used to it. I'm like, I, that stuff kind of like, oh, okay, all right, my bad, you know. <laughs> but, but it bothered her, but what, what opportunity to walk in forgiveness? I walk in uh, an opportunity to go, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on in your world. I like, how do I do? So you're going to have very like silly moments like that to forgive people, but you're going to have some serious ones too. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget when I, when I was um, born, uh, my biological father wasn't in the picture. And so it was just me and my mom till I was nine years old. But before that, my mom would have uh, boyfriends um, that would kind of filter in and out. And I remember one particular boyfriend, the one that she probably had the longest before she married the man that would eventually adopt me and I would take his last name and he would really be my dad, um, was this guy named Jeff. And, um, and she, uh, uh, they were dating from the time I was about six to the time I was about seven. And Jeff was uh, drugs, alcohol, the whole deal, and was very physically abusive to me and my mom. I remember being seven years old and getting uh, close hand fist punched in the face at seven years old uh, uh, from, from this man. And, um, and when I was nine, my mom ends up um, uh, just really turning her life around, doing awesome stuff, and uh, marries my dad, the man who would uh, raise me. And, and, then, and then after that, after about 20 years, uh, found out that my dad had been cheating on my mom for two years, and then they go through this really, really nasty divorce, which causes my mom kind of to spiral a good bit and uh, try to take her own life. I have to literally break into the house and rush her to the emergency room and, and, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then about a year after my parents um, were no longer together, I walk into my mom's house. I was in my mom's house at one time and I saw some roses. I saw a dozen roses. And I was like, who are those from? I knew they weren't from my dad. They, 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 were, they were already divorced at this point. And I said, like, who, like, who, who are those from? And she said, oh, they're from, um, she said the guy's name, Jeff, and said his last name. And I was like, and I knew exactly who he was right when she said his name. And she was like, yeah, but it doesn't mean anything. Well, fast forward the tape. They start dating and they get married. And a month after, in fact, to this day, a month after my kids were born, my mom and Jeff moved down here to Florida. They live 15 minutes from us. I do Thanksgiving with them. And I'll never forget, I will never forget being a grown man probably 30 years old at this time, the first time I come face to face again with a man that used to beat me up when I was a kid. And what was wild is I remember when I was six or seven, somebody's doing that to you, that he seemed larger than life. I thought he was like seven feet tall, 250 pounds. Like he just seemed like a monster, seemed larger than life to me. And I'll never forget as a grown man who's 6'2", standing over a 5'9 guy, shaking his hand, feeling like I could do something right now. I remember, I remember shaking his hand. This is a man I do Thanksgiving with every year. This is a man I do Christmas with every year. C can I tell you, God wants us to walk in radical forgiveness. Now, now, hear me when I say this. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. 
Some of you, you're in toxic relationships and, and you keep going back to these toxic relationships um, and you're calling it forgiveness and it's not, that's not forgiveness. Uh, you're trusting somebody that should not be trusted. Uh, you are walking in a way that is gonna provide more unhealth for your life. Listen, trust is earned. Forgiveness is the mandate of every believer who says they love God. And I can tell you this, I would not be able to walk in a forgiveness without Jeff if it was not supernatural and God going, God, give me the capacity. Now, the reality is, is he ever alone with my kids? Nope. Has he changed? Yeah. Does it seem like he's treating my mom? Yeah. But you ain't being alone with my kids. But I'm also not going to carry the weight of unforgiveness. But I'm also not, listen, God can give you, from the front of the room to the back of the room, God can give you a supernatural ability to forgive somebody right now that if you were really honest, you'd say, there's no way I can do it. And it can only come by the power of the Spirit of God. Because check out what it says. It says, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees. And it says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now what's interesting is his debt in like modern terms would be in the millions. So what's interesting is when he goes to the master and says, hey, I'm gonna repay you, he's saying and declaring something that he cannot cash in on. So he said, hey, hey, I'm gonna repay you even though there's in reality no chance that he can repay him. You see, the reality is this, is that experienced grace is supposed to change how we have grace on other people. But the problem with you and I is, is the longer we follow Jesus, if we're being honest, the less we think we need grace. So we tend to see grace based on the measurement of how we view our own sin. And the problem is the longer you follow God, the way that it's supposed to work is that your character is supposed to grow, right? Your character is supposed to grow. But however, whenever that happens, we think, oh, that means I don't really need the grace of God, even though the Bible clearly tells us that our righteousness is but filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. So on your best day, I mean that day when you get up and you spend some quiet time with God and you get in God's word and you pray and you gave your tithes on the way to church online and you showed up to a serve team and you're here and you open up the door for people, whether you're attracted to them or not, and you just, you, you just feel so responsible and you feel so, on that day, you have no idea how desperate you need the grace and the mercy of God because the measurement that you and I are using to judge ourselves is ourselves, which means it's just done from a fallen place. See, the re reality is, is you and I should be able to wake up every morning and go, God, I need you as much today than I did 20 years ago when I first experienced the grace of God, but we forget that. And because we forget it, we stop extending it. I remember I was talking to this young man who had graduated, I was the campus pastor at Southeastern, and I was talking to this young man uh, um, who, this is after I had left SEU and I, and I was planting, we had already planted Grace City Church, and he called me up, and this is a guy that like didn't really like me uh, when he was at SEU, um, kind of got radically saved and went real legalistic, and, um, and I know, you know, sometimes people are like, how oh, do you know he didn't like you? I was like, because he told me he didn't like me, you know, like, you know what I mean? And so while I was at SEU, me and this guy would kind of have these conversations, but, but can I just tell you, whenever people are going through it, be gracious and gracious and gracious. So years later, um, pastor in Grace City now, he calls me, I don't remember how he got my number, but he calls me and he's living in some other part of the country. 
And he says, hey, Pastor Andrew, and he apologized. He goes, man, I was, I was <laughs> you know, radically saved. I thought I knew everything. So he's using the right words at this point. But, but, but then he goes, but I just have fallen in and I'm just doing drugs, sleeping with all kinds of women, addicted to alcohol. And I just start talking to him, I pray for him. And I say, man, have you found a church? I'm like, you gotta find a community. Have you found a church? And this is what he said, I kid you not. And by the way, this is not an indictment on him. We do this too. I, I, I went, have you found a church? And he goes, yeah, but, I was like, but what? He was like, but like, I, go, I was going to this church and, and they had multiple campuses and, and like, I found out that the pastors um, uh, would like all preach from the same passage and they would preach the same points and like, it felt like inauthentic. And, and, and I'm like, Honestly, if I, if I, if he would have been right in front of me, I would have shook him. Like when I was on the phone, I wanted to go, listen to yourself. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. Because I'm like, bro, you just got done telling me that you're addicted to drugs and you're addicted to alcohol. And I'm telling you, God's grace is sufficient. And you're being judgmental over some people that preach from the same passage? and preach from the same points? Like, are you deluded? It's amazing how you and I, I'm a really gracious pastor. <laughs> Come to me for all your pastoral care desires. <laughs> but honestly, I, I got to a point in my life, I'm, I'm just gonna tell people the truth. Go, bro, you're just deluded right now. The reason why you're never gonna break free of that unless you change is because you're not experiencing the grace and the mercy of God. Because if you've really experienced the grace and mercy of God, you wouldn't care how they're preaching. Come on, when I got saved, come on, somebody, when you got saved, you, you didn't think about other people's character and how far along they were. You were just like, I can't believe I'm saved. I can't believe that, man, I was far from God and God came to me and he met me and he loves me and he chose me and he's got a plan for my life. And if he's got a plan for my life and I know who I was and I know what I was going through, then he's gotta have a plan for your life. I didn't know any better. The problem is we, we get in this Christianity game and we start thinking we know everything instead of just being people who experience the grace and mercy of God. Because when you've experienced the grace and mercy of God, all you want is for other people to experience the grace and mercy of God. And this man is forgiven in the millions of debt and he leaves and immediately forgets. And it says that he goes and finds somebody one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Some of you by withholding forgiveness, that's what you're doing. You're saying, pay what you owe. Some of you, if we were to go out to lunch, listen, you got some good reasons. We could sit down, we'd probably cry together because you got some good reasons to withhold forgiveness. Some of you, you've been hurt in such a way, you, 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 you got some reasons. He says, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. Church is awesome. But I always get so concerned. Like when I'm preaching at our church, I get concerned because I know what happens. You're in an environment like this and then you leave and then life is life. And so what we do, I, I, call, it, I call it the remind me tomorrow Christianity. 
Now, I'm the oldest 38-year-old you're ever going to meet. Like, I, I don't understand technology. I don't understand any. I'm, I'm grateful that our church is full of young people because they just, um, they help me, okay? They, they help me understand things. Um, and so I, I, I get kind of paranoid of technology. Anybody else? You're like, I, I like, I like put earmuffs on my phone. I'm like, I don't know who's listening. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm paranoid of stuff. And so every time an update comes on my computer, come on, you ever get these updates? Software update, software update. Well, there's a button that I've come to love. There's a button that I've fallen in love with and it's the remind me tomorrow. That's my, my remind me tomorrow, right? Remind me tomorrow. Because when that comes up, right, that flashes on my screen and I'm like, I got OCD, so I got to clear everything off. I can't just be having like stuff in the corner of my screens. You know what I mean? Like, and so when I see that, what do I say? Remind me tomorrow knowing full well i don't have any intention in updating tomorrow i know exactly what i'm gonna do i'm gonna hit remind me tomorrow tomorrow that's what i'm gonna do and so you're in a church environment and the keys are going and this pastor's like just preaching and, and you're like man there's probably some people i gotta call there's probably some some conversations i need to have i want to walk in forgiveness the problem is you're going to get out of here and the longer time goes and you're gonna wake up tomorrow and you're gonna go that's cute and all uh, but remind me tomorrow remind me tomorrow the problem is my computer can still run no matter, even if I've been hitting remind me tomorrow for a year, it can still run. And that's the deceiving part. Some of you, you're deceived because you're functioning. You're running, but you're confused why you and your wife are constantly at each other. You can't even put your finger on it. Can't even put your finger on it. You just know you're missing each other. You're confused why you go off on your kids the way you do. You, you can't even put your, you don't want to be like, you just can't put your finger, you're confused why you can't hold a job. You're confused why you don't know how to deal with a bad boss. Can I just encourage you, like, if you're in this room and you're like, ah, oh, my boss could be better, like, join the club. Time to grow up. <laughs> Again, I told you I was going to talk to you like you're a great city. <laughs> That's why I tell Archer, time to grow up. Like, how, how cliche, I don't like my boss. You got Jesus dwelling within you or not? Are, are, are you a Jesus carrier? Are you the kind of person that is a spirit of God carrier? That when you step into your workplace and when you step into your environment, the whole atmosphere has to change, everything has to change. And I can deal with things that most people who aren't following God can't deal with because I've been forgiven and I know I've been forgiven so I can extend grace. Gotta stop hitting the remind me tomorrow. I think today's the moment for you to make a decision to say, hey, I'm gonna walk in forgiveness. I, I remember I had one of these kind of moments. You ever have God ask you to do something and you're like, nah. You ever have that? Let me see your hand, honest question. You ever have one of those moments? Let me see your hand. Okay, cool, right on. Um, I, yeah, you didn't raise your hand, we know you do. You just had one right there when I asked you to raise your hand. I was having one of those moments. God told me I was 20. God told me to physically meet with, and you don't always have to do this, by the way. By the way, don't always do this. Like if there's somebody that like, you know, you have something with and it's more your thing and they are clueless, please don't meet with them and say, hey, I've hated you for two years, but I just wanted to know I, I don't hate you anymore. <laughs> I didn't know you hated me for two years. You could have worked that out with God in your prayer closet, homie. 
<laughs> but I remember God told me, God said, I want, you need to forgive your biological father because I was dealing with stuff. And it, again, it wasn't stuff that I was doing good in life. I was functioning. But I just felt like God was like, hey, you need to forgive your biological father and you need to do it physically like with him and, and let him off the hook of any guilt and shame that he might have because he wasn't there for you. And again, I went, nah, for a year. I hit remind me tomorrow for a year until I felt God speak to me and say, um, how you operate in this area is directly tethered to your future. It's directly tied to your future. And so I remember I invited my biological dad to our Easter service, the church I was attending and serving at the time. And I remember we went and I sat in his car and I remember I just began to say, hey, I just want you to know, I don't know what it would be like to have a son that I was not there for. I don't know what that would feel like, but I would imagine that there would be some guilt attached to that. And I just wanna let you know that I am not holding that over your head at all and that I'm okay. That God's been gracious to me God's been kind to me and that, that I'm, I'm doing good. And I remember he just started crying, just started bawling. Now, do me and my biological dad have a tight relationship? No, because it wasn't about that. See, see, I understand why we hold on to forgiveness. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my, my guy Aaron come up here. I understand why we hold on to forg uh, unforgiveness. I understand why we hold on to it. Because... Uh, let me see your hand if you've been in a physical fight. Let me see your hand, like a physical throwing punches fight. Let me see your hand, let me see your hand, let me see your hand. Okay, cool, right on. <laughs> Before the Lord, I know, I know it's okay. <laughs> it's who I used to be. What I found to be true in life is, um, if you're ever in a fight, man, it sure is helpful to have a brick on you. <laughs> it's just helpful. That's what I found. And, and so I, I think the reason why sometimes uh, we hold on to unforgiveness, even though, oh, okay, maybe like if you're in a spiritual conversation, you know it's doing you harm. The problem is though, is that I don't wanna lay this down because if I get in a fight, what am I to do with all the rage? I, I, I don't wanna give up this brick because uh, what am I to do um, with all this blaming that I've been doing to other people? See, if I put the brick down, then I can't use it. And we hold on to unforgiveness as a means to go, I might need to use this someday because that might be the reason why my marriage is in shambles. I might need to use it someday if I'm not where I wanna be in life. So I'm gonna hold on. So what we do is we store it. So we say, okay, that happened to me. I'm gonna hold on to that. Okay, my boss did this. My boss tried to get me fired. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna remember that because if I'm ever in a situation or in a position where I have authority over that person, I'm gonna hold it over their head. I, I, I don't wanna lay that down and be gracious because I may have to use that someday. See, see I, I, I don't wanna lay down the fact that I was abused sexually. I, I don't wanna lay down the fact that I was abused phys physically. I, I, don't wanna, I, I don't wanna lay that down because what if I'm a bad parent? I, I, I gotta have something to pick up. I need something to fight for me. And, and, and so, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hold on. And what we do, go ahead and zip that up. And what we do is, is we hold on to these bricks. We hold on to them. And what we do is we take them with us, right? Because after all, wherever we go, there we are. 
and we hold on to them. And in a weird way, they're our security blanket. In a really unhealthy way, it's like if I'm ever in a squabble, I have stuff. But <laughs> what we forget is that we're the ones that have to carry them. What we forget is the more we hold on to this bag, the heavier it gets. And that's why when Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy burden, and I'm gonna give you rest. Jesus also said that to the, to the degree that you forgive will be the degree you're forgiven. Because what Jesus knew is that you cannot experience grace to the measure that he wants to bestow upon you if you're holding on to unforgiveness. It's oil and water and the two don't come together. And so what's awesome is that Jesus invites us to simply come before the cross and to lay it down. And we get to lay it down and when we lay it down, we get to walk away from it. We get to walk, now, now listen, I get it, it's kind of scary because then you can't use it. It's scary. I get it. I've had to live this in my life. It's scary. But can I just tell you, the weight of it's too much for you. It's too much for you. It's too heavy. It's impacting you in ways. You keep hitting remind me tomorrow. It's impacting in you in ways that you don't even know. It's getting too heavy. And my prayer this morning for you is real simple, that you just lay it all down. For some of you, that's gonna just be you in a prayer time today. It's gonna be you going home, putting your forehead to the ground, putting your knees to the carpet and say, God, I don't, I don't wanna carry that anymore. And I don't have to. For some of you, it's gonna be making some phone calls and going, I I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let this person off the hook only to realize it's me I'm letting off the hook. I'm gonna take this burden off this person only to realize the one that's actually having the burden taken off of him or her is, 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 is me. Don't withhold. Don't withhold. Can, can you stand to your feet? I know it's a little somber. I try to, I try to end. Ah. But I just want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God's doing. And, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head for a second. And, and, and I want to ask two questions. The first question is this, is you're in this room right now. And if you and I were to go out to lunch and I were to ask you, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If I were to just ask you bluntly like that, and if your answer is anything than a resounding yes, then I believe this is why you came to church. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And if you just be in this room and you just say, man, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. I wanna ask him to forgive me of my sins and my imperfections. And I wanna start a relationship with him with every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm gonna ask when I count to three, that you would just lock out your elbow and lift up your hand. And that would just be your confession of faith saying, yeah, pastor, please pray for me. I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, ready? One, two, three. Go ahead and lift up your hand all across this room. Yep, see you right there, see you right here. Yep, see both of you right there. See you right there. Anybody else who just kind of wave at me? Yep, see both of you right here. Yep, see you right here. Yep, see man, a bunch of you up in the balcony. That's awesome. Way to go, way to go, way to go, way to go. Yep, see you right here. 
See right here, way to go. Most important decision in life, who is Jesus? He is Lord, meeting you right where you're at, forgiving you of your sins, starting you on a new track, not just when you die and go to heaven, but a new kind of life right here on earth. You can put your hands down. Second question is this, you're in this room and you're following Jesus. Oh, but you need God's help to forgive. You know you can't do it on your own. You've tried to do it on your own. Or maybe you just realize, man, I have a symptom of unforgiveness and I don't wanna walk in it. Pastor, please pray for me. Can you lift up your hand all across this room? I wanna pray for everybody that wants prayer today. You just say, yep, that's me. I need help to walk in a radical forgiveness. God, help us. We need your help. God, we can't do it on our own. God, we need help to forgive. God, I pray that we would walk with a levity. God, in fact, you even promise us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so God, we don't wanna walk around heavy. Uh, God, we don't wanna walk around bogged down with unforgiveness. God, we forgive our parents. God, we forgive our siblings. We forgive our wrongdoer. We forgive the person that abused us. We forgive our boss. We forgive this circumstance. We forgive this situation. We forgive this teacher. God, we're not letting people off the hook. God, you deal with people, but we believe today, God, that you fight my battles. I don't gotta fight my own battles. I can put the bricks down. I don't got to walk embittered. I don't got to walk angry. I don't got to walk frustrated. I can walk with the joy of the Spirit of God because greater is He that is in me than He that's in the world. Come on, church, can we all lift up our hands and sing this out? Come on, let's surrender. Come on, He's a good God. He's a faithful God. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.